1: back to Birdseye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is August 18th, 2014. This is episode 91. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my first baseman, third baseman, you know, batting less than 200, I'm way below the Mendoza line. Yeah, way below the Mendoza line. Jake English. Um, For those that are looking to listen to us, you should be following us on birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You should also be following us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You should also go find us at various other third-party apps such as Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and I guess iTunes in case they uh, don't remove us. You should also be following us on social media at facebook.com slash bevcast, Google+, and on Twitter at B A L. You can also find us on postgame lives on channel BSR. That's Baltimore Sports slash live on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 15 minutes after the game, you can see our lovely faces talking about Orioles baseball. Um, what can I say? We have radio faces. And one more piece of business, go to our website, at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, click on the Amazon banner at the very bottom of the page, and give us our two to three percent of whatever you purchase on Amazon. We're looking for pennies on the dollars here, people to keep the lights on. Jake, and with that. Drink of the week?
0: My drink of the week is actually, it's charity, Scott. Mm. I, I showed up at SD Studios this week empty-handed, and you were kind enough to open up your cabinet. Whoa, 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 whoa.
1: That's not entirely true. You brought something with you.
0: That's true. I bartered for my freedom. I brought, uh, I brought a, uh, what is it, Jacko something. It's a, it's a pumpkin shandy, shandy yeah. and it's awful but I think it's the kind of awful your wife might like. So I traded that in for a stone IPA, uh, which is delicious, but I turned down your offer of pretty terrible sangria. I I think I let us both down because it would have given you the opportunity to mock me here on the podcast.
1: Um, what can I say? It's not your aunt sangria that she makes? Is that correct? It's, it's uh, a little bit of uncle, a little bit of aunt. Okay. Uh, I am having
0: an Irish whiskey and Coke on ice. Why is it you try to upman me every time?
1: Honestly, I'm a little disappointed that I watered it down with a little bit of Coke. I thought you were going to make fun of me, but um, it's a delicious.
0: If I ever ma- manage to get a man's drink here uh, on the show, you're going to be drinking like pure molten magma or something.
1: Actually, did you uh, hear what my wife was making for our fantasy football draft? I'm listening. She will be making bourbon-infused meatballs for Saturday night. Ooh. So you can be a band then,
0: okay? All right, all right. I look forward to it. I cannot wait to see some chest hair on you. <laughs> Keep waiting, pal. Keep waiting. Look, if we're going to get this technical and it's going to get this grotesque, let's at least bring the medical wing into it. What is going on? Well, Manny is just being
1: Manny. He was uh, interviewed today by the uh, beat writers, and uh, he really hasn't seen much improvement. He's still sore. Uh, you know, Buck said that he thinks he'll be back after the fifteen day. D- uh, after the fifteen day DL, Manny says he'll be back when he feels better. I'm of the situation of there's no need to rush this. If he can come back with no need. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is not the Baltimoreans, okay? Okay. Um, if they he can get back within two weeks of the end of the season, I think that would give him plenty of time to heat back up. The last thing you want him to do though, is go right into the playoffs without any, you know, game time experience. Because again, he's going to struggle mightily offensively coming back off that injury. Um and trying to regroup his power and uh, that's just a bad move on the Orioles' part if they can't get him back in time.
0: All right, what else happened this
1: week? Well, JJ Hardy came back on Friday after being out for um, most of last week um, with that injured thumb. So, um, and you know he came back and you know JJ has done a great job in the field, but also you know he's been doing great at the plate as well. So it doesn't look like that thumb is bothering him. In terms of offensive, but also defensive production. So,
0: and if, I, if I know JJ Hardy, I'll bet you it hurts. I'll bet you it hurts a lot, but he's just kind of, you know, going through it. Going through it. Yeah.
1: Which, again, is great to not have to have play uh, Jonathan Scope and Ryan Flaherty out there in the middle of the infield. So, you know, it's great to have JJ Hardy back. It kind of reemphasizes the fact of, you know, how important it is to have him on this team and um, how much of a loss it might be to
0: lose him this offseason. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and uh, take a dive into the twat this week on the Twitter. Uh, I'm going to start off because somebody unwittingly uh, tweeted into my pet peeve zone, and so I'm going to go to a tweet by uh, now. Is
1: this pet peeve number 684,
0: or y- you act like I keep a list. Okay. Um, this is it's from a scroll. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is Steve Levy at Steve Levy 17. Um, he tweeted out, Rogers Center is no longer the Orioles' house of horror. It's progressive field in Cleveland, where they're about to fall to 24 and 55. That's a 304 winning percentage all time. Look, can we just stop? Can we stop saying things like this? The 1998 to 2011 Orioles were a minor league team. They were horrible. Of course, they did terrible in Cleveland and every other city while they were horrible. I hate these numbers. It's like when they broadcast uh, when the broadcast gives one of the, the opposing pitchers career numbers against the Orioles. If he's been around for a while, of course he's kicked the Orioles out. Anything that you are going to do with the Orioles stretching back beyond 2012 is going to be a horror show of numbers. Since the Orioles have been a real franchise and they've come out of hibernation, they're four and five in Cleveland, which is not a good record. Yeah. But let's stop doing this. Let's stop comparing the 2014 team to the 2003 Orioles. They were horrible. We get it.
1: Okay. And with that, I'm taking the soapbox away, and I'm going to go to another individual. Um, this is from Orioles May and uh That's memes.
0: Please, that's memes.
1: May um and it was um it was on Saturday he posted this. He says, if we don't win tomorrow, I'm hitting the slightly concerned, but not really, because we have to be suck as bad as the two thousand eleven Red Sox button. That is a reasoned response from a parody account. I'm just glad that Orioles May Mays can say that.
0: You literally made me spit beer on my <laughs> computer. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's my
1: job during the twat to make you spit beer with how I can pr- pronounce certain things. So May Mays is what I'm going to go with to make you spit beer. So let me see how if I can butcher this next one for you. Kevin Gossman. Oh, yeah. Kevin Gossman. I know him. Um, he posted a tweet and it said, just had someone on Twitter call me the Wizard of Gauze. Ha, ha, ha. Hashtag love the nicknames. All right, Baltimoreans, you're on notice.
0: Why the heck didn't you think of that? Why didn't I think of that? That's awesome. The Wizard of Gauze is is got to be the best one I've heard so That's far. That's
1: pretty darn good.
0: All right, uh, here we go. Here's a tweet from uh, Adam Jones. It's actually, a retweet. Just goes to show what a uh, sense of humor he's got. This is, of course, at simplyaj10. Uh, somebody that went to uh, one of the Cleveland games tweeted out. I know simply AJ10 liked our sign today, and there's a picture. And it's it's one of those uh, sets of picture or it's signs. like the Hunter Penn signs, yes, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and the two that were pictured were Adam Jones sleeps in footy pajamas, and Adam Jones thinks jean shorts are fashionable. Now points off because he misspelled fashionable, but I'm going to let it slide. He's a Nationals fan. <laughs> it's an indians fan even worse so uh adam jones uh retweeted it with the crying laughing emoticons or whatever and said awesome retweet gotta love that from a guy who who handles criticism like that and we'll uh i think we'll get back to that a little later on the show jake another terrible question i have to ask you and even worse answers this
1: comes from at seductive tommy h girl which Oreo of the 2000s haunts your dream like Adam Eaton, girl. Seriously, I do not like that guy.
0: No, girl, no. Simple answer, Kevin Gregg. That's yeah, not a bad protester. one. The protester. Yeah, it's not. When a bad I close one. my eyes, I can see him coming out of the the bullpen. Yeah, it hurts, Scott.
1: Yeah, who was that guy that we signed? That you know was supposed to be a hitter, but never promised to be anything at all. Oh wait, that was everybody during that. Have to narrow yeah. that down. Absolutely. <laughs> but,
0: Is there any one that you can you can single out that just hurts you?
1: I can think of many individuals like Jay Gibbons and Larry Bigby, and you know, but there's a there's a plethora. I, I mean, mean
0: it, it just goes beyond. I mean, like Mike DeJean is oh, a Mike name that just makes yeah. me like, ugh, it hurts. It hurts me inside. Yeah. Um, seductive Tommy H. Stop doing this. Yeah. This is not what we do. I don't want to dwell on the bad times. We've blocked that time out in our life. All right, and last uh I want to make sure we give a shout out to at Joe Papa of course that's Joe paparado of the O b p podcast. Make sure you go check them out. I'm calling this one wins on wins and he tweets as follows: It's August seventeenth and the Orioles won their seventieth game. They didn't win their seventieth in two thousand and twelve until august twenty seventh and they went ninety three and sixty nine on that year that's uh that's good perspective that's a a lot of wins in
1: um a pretty short amount of time, so yeah, the Orioles are looking like they're in good shape, and we
0: won't need that crazy um,
1: uh, uh, end of September to get. Them. Oh yeah, it was a truly a magical September in 2012 in order to get them into the wild card and also be a contender in the division. But Jake, that's not stopping some people from going a little crazy. So with that, we're going to put a warning out to certain Orioles fans
2: with all the lies that you've been living in. And if you do not want to see me again, I would understand.
1: Jake, this whole weekend, people have been jumping off the Orioles' bandwagon with two losses versus the Cleveland Indians. It's the first time they've had back-to-back losses since the last week in June. And yet, um, and it's also the first series loss they've experienced since Oakland after the All-Star break. But folks have been quick to decry that this is the fall of the Orioles for this year and to prepare the Palm Shelters because the end of times are coming for the 2014 Orioles. Seriously? What gives Burland? Do you have no faith in this team? Jake, I, I, I... some of the tweets that are out there and some of the messages that were going on, some of the Facebook groups were absolutely atrocious. And I, I don't really know how to how to explain it.
0: I'm going to turn it over to you and just see which, what do you think. Well, everybody needs to take a deep breath. You know, it's funny that you mentioned this, and, and I actually uh, had a blog about this uh, today. There was something very interesting that happened on Sunday morning right after those two losses in Cleveland. And uh, Adam Jones tweeted out. And this would have made the twat, except I wanted to expand upon it. Adam Jones tweeted out, quote, the man in the arena, end quote, T. Roosevelt. Now, I thought that was kind of a brainy quote until I figured that it was probably pretty well known among uh, professional athletes, probably pretty well known from guys who are used to having their every move chronicled by the press and by fans, etc. And if you don't know the reference, let let me break it down for you. The the reference is from a speech that President uh, Theodore Roosevelt gave uh, in Paris, and it's called "Citizenship in a Republic." And it basically comes down to this: it says basically, the guy who sticks his neck out is the one who can t- uh, the one who can talk, and everybody else should shut up. The critic that sits safely on the sidelines can shove it. And that's not particularly scholarly, but that's the gist of it. The quote from the speech that Jones references is a pretty famous one. And Scott, if you'll if you'll allow me, I'm going to go ahead and read. Hang that. on, hang on. I got something ready for this. All right, go ahead. Oh, jeez, I'm frightened. All right, the text is as follows. (laughs) The text is as follows. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Well, Jake, that was, um, that was something I got met. And that's what Jones was going for. I think that there's a lot to that. I I think that it's, it's unfair for unfair for us to criticize so blindly and, and without thinking of the, the men that are actually in the arena I'm sure that what Jones saw on his Twitter account was just crazy after uh, the Orioles finally lost two straight games after having done so well for so long. We were spoiled with good play, and I'm sure that it was just a a matter of, of frustration in the fans building up. But Scott, that speech that Teddy Roosevelt gave was great. It was a really fantastic speech, and, and coming from a, a former poli-sci uh, major and big dork, I have to tell you that that little quote, the famous bit, is not even the real meat of that speech. And I encourage everybody to go and check that out if you're so inclined. But, Scott, I think there's actually something in that speech that speaks to the fans. And, and if you indulge me, I'd, I'd like to share that with you. Again? That's right. We're going to do another dramatic reading. Oh, my God. Let the man of learning, the man of lettered leisure, beware of that queer and cheap temptation to pose himself and to others as a cynic, as the man who has outgrown emotions and beliefs, the man to whom good and evil are as one. The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twister pride in cynicism. Me. There are many who confine themselves to criticism of the way of others. Me. Do what they themselves dare not even attempt. Definitely me. (laughs) There is no more unhealthy being, no man less worthy of respect than he who either really holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief toward all that is great and lofty, whether in achievement or in that noble effort which, even if it fails, comes to a second achievement." A cynical habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticise work which the critic himself never tries to perform, an intellectual aloofness which will not accept contact with life's realities, all of these are marks not of the possessor, not as the possessor would find uh, would fain to think of superiority but of weakness. They mark the men unfit to bear their part painfully in the stern strife of living who seek in the affection of contempt for the achievements of others to hide from others and from themselves in their own weakness. The role is easy. There is none easier save only for the role of the man who sneers alike at both criticism and performance. Definitely me. (laughs) The point is this. We should hold our team accountable. And here at Bird's Eye View, we beat up the team mercilessly. A lot. And often. I'm a good sneerer, what can I say? But I would argue, Scott, that we do not do it with a sneer. I think that we are not Orioles cynics. I think that we are fair in the fact that we should praise them where they should be praised, and we should beat them up where they ought to be beaten up. But to your point, when we started this Godforsaken segment, Orioles fans are are losing perspective on when it is right and just and good to hold the team accountable and say you are not doing enough to bring winning baseball to Baltimore. I don't think we're at that point. Am I wrong here? You're not wrong at all. Um,
1: I think this is a situation where we've got some PTSD going on in Baltimore right now, um, where people have been beaten down for 14 years, and we have thrown up a defense mechanism, um, basically not wanting to have our hopes dashed and disappointed. Look, we can go back to that 2012 season, and you and I, Basically had the same aspect. We're like, oh, it's not going to last very long. It's eventually going to fail. And then it yeah, never the shoe is going to drop. Exactly, And it never did. And after that season, it's always been, this is a team that is capable of being a good team and being in the hunt. And that's all you really care about is being in the hunt. And this year, the Orioles are so much in the hunt that they're absolutely dominating the competition. You can bring up the whole aspect of, oh, they're playing weaker competition, whatever. But the fact is, they're only two games behind the best record
0: in Major League Baseball. Think about that. Two games behind the best record in Major League Baseball. And the other teams that they're chasing in that category have also had their down points this year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't the A's hit a bit of a skid right now? I mean, the
1: A's and the Tigers have both hit skids. And again, don't think for one second that the Tigers or Athletics are down for the count because of these skids. There's still 40 games left. These are talented baseball teams that will overcome adversity fairly quickly and rebound strongly. The Orioles did the same thing coming on Sunday, and the Orioles are going to continue to do so. I'm also going to come back to a situation with some Orioles history, since you know we've been going through Orioles history for the past month with the 60th anniversary. Dude, I just threw it back to Teddy Roosevelt. You can yeah, go as far back as you want. Let's go to 1983 in August. The Orioles are up two games for the pennant on August 5th of 1983, after a walk-off from behind victory in the bottom of the ninth inning. They're trailing 4-2, to two. the Orioles single, and then they ground into a double play, so there's two outs in the ninth inning. They follow up with a rally with five consecutive singles to win the game for them. Magic. It's similar to what happened on Wednesday with Adam Jones hitting that three-run homer and the Orioles basically taking the game from the Yankees in a situation of, you know, a game that didn't look like it was going to go the Orioles' ways. But Orioles' magic happened and good things happened. And then something ugly happened. The Orioles would go on in 1983 to lose the next seven games against the American League West um one against uh, three of them against the white Sox. um i'm sorry four of them against the white Sox, and three of them were also against the last place cleveland indians (laughs) so you know funny that baseball has a tendency to replicate in these fashions but the orioles saw their lead independent vanish and by the end of the streak they were down by one game and clearly the team was doomed to fail and would never see success later in that season oh wait jake you know baseball is a marathon yes we have 40 games left but there's a lot of games left to play. The point I'll come back to is the Orioles are seven games up right now in the division against a team that is not very good in the Cleveland in the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays. To think that those two teams are going to go six hundred or seven hundred and the Orioles are going to go five hundred or less than five hundred is ridiculous. Baltimore Orioles fans love this team. Embrace this
0: team. Enjoy the ride. And hold them accountable where appropriate. But do so without a sneer. Correct.
1: And with that, Jake, I think it's time that we take a step back from our sneering, and let's look forward to this upcoming week in Chicago. Let's go talk to an individual from Chicago, and um, let's just say he has some experience with rooting for bad baseball.
2: So may I say to each of you most gratefully, as I throw each one of you a kiss This is
0: my kind of town, Chicago is My kind of town, Chicago is The Orioles are in Chicago this week, starting their six-game series with the Chicago White Sox, uh, tasting a little turtle soup, and then uh, heading off to uh, to check out the Chicago Cubs. Now, Scott is also headed to Chi-Town to make the pilgrimage to Wrigley Stadium. And in preparation for that great baseball experience and to figure out exactly what the Cubs are doing to salvage, salvage our washed-up starters, we've brought in an expert, and that is Corey Finneran of the ivy envy podcast to to educate us Corey's podcast is just one of the many great shows you'll find on baseballtalkradio.com Corey, thanks so much for joining
2: us hey thanks a lot for having me on guys
0: all right so so first we we just have to we have to set this up you are indeed uh, an admitted cubs fan correct
2: it is something that uh, I will uh, admit on here, and um, here in a couple of years, I'll be able to admit um, publicly and not feel ashamed about it. That's that's my opinion.
0: Being Orioles fans, we we know that feeling really, really well. Yeah, it's going to happen next
2: year. It's going to happen
0: next year. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. So uh, we we wanted to have you on first. We'll we'll get to the the Cubs and, and the Orioles see, uh, series in just a little bit. Uh, I I teased it out at the beginning there. Scott's headed to Rickley. I'm totally jealous. Um, from an outsider's perspective, uh, for people like us who know nothing, how cool is that trip going to be
2: for him? Oh man, it's awesome. And you know, I, I think that sometimes I wonder if I just think it's awesome because I grew up a Chicago Cubs fan and Chicago, uh, or, you know, Wrigley field kind of has like a special place for me because it's not, I don't live in Chicago. I actually live about three hours South. And so it's not something that I, I get to see every day. I don't get to go to a ton of games a year. I get up there four or five times a year. So it's still special for me every time I walk into that building. Um, and I've talked with a lot of uh, baseball fans that have gone to many other ballparks. And I'm always kind of curious, like what outsiders, you know, what, what fans of other teams think of Wrigley field. And I, I honestly, I've never heard anything bad, you know, and um, I think, you know, probably Cardinals fans probably complain about uh, the Cubs fans, but um, I think, you know, it's just one of those things I think you have to experience as a baseball fan, kind of how, um, I would really like to see, um, you know, Fenway. Although I've heard nothing but bad things about that yes. ballpark. Yeah, but. Fenway
0: is absolutely horrible. Um, I, I think that that's the difference, though, because they're stadiums of a similar area. And and again, you know, we have a negative uh, relationship with the Red Sox. We'll say that from the outset. It doesn't but, matter. It's a dump of a stadium. <laughs> I've heard nothing but people say that Fenway is not what it's cracked up to be, and just the exact opposite about uh, about Wrigley.
2: Yeah, I think it's there's just so much character in that ballpark, and you know, there's a lot of history there, a lot of bad history, but still, you know, a lot of history nonetheless. You know, Babe Ruth called his shot there, and haven't mm-hmm. been a whole lot of postseason games played there. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, just you know, just the the whole neighborhood in general, and and all of those, uh, I guess, just the the things that you you know associate with Wrigley Field, the marquee, the ivy on the wall, and the bricks and the scoreboard and everything. I mean, it's just it's really cool to see
1: well one of the things on that was the ivy and the bricks and that was a big portion of a design that came over for camden yards when it was first being built he's trying to tie in that ivy and also bringing in some of the bricks as well through the stadium so um you know joe pozanski basically went through and ranked 30 ballparks in major league baseball in a recent article and he had camden yards at number six but wrigley was at number one so we've talked about wrigley have you ever been to camden yards before
2: I haven't, and I really want to. I mean, that's another ballpark that I hear nothing but good things about. Um, in fact, I went to um, I went to a ball game uh, down in Arlington to see the Rangers play um with some other podcasters, and we were hanging out and we actually talked quite a bit about Camden and they were talking about how much they liked it there.
1: It's got that definitely old vibe to it. Um, you know, just definitely a a hallmark back to some of the traditional stadiums. Uh, it does have a lot of elements of Wrigley. Jake, I'm gonna, you know, shatter your illusion. I've actually been to Wrigley before, but it was as a kid. So, I guess the question I have is, Corey, you know, you know, I've been there for the mystique and the aura of Wrigley Field as a kid, and you know, it's it's, it's a truly an amazing stadium in that regards. But I'm now going back as you know a near 30 year old, and I'm going to experience this as an adult. You know, what are some of the you know neighborhood things that I need to do around Wrigley Field in order to um you know, maybe wet my whistle or just enjoy the uh, local culture.
2: Right. Well, I would say, I mean, definitely walk around the neighborhood. Don't, don't just kind of go up to the marquee and think, Oh, I've seen it. Okay. I'm going to go inside. I mean, and don't necessarily just hit all of the, you know, the shops that are across the street and stuff like that. Like I would definitely suggest doing like walking around the ballpark, exploring that neighborhood a little bit because it's, it's especially on game day. Um, it's just a really fun atmosphere and it's not, I think that Wrigley Field and Wrigleyville in general kind of have this you know, kind of negative um, stereotype I guess of just being a big party and I mean, I think t- to a certain degree, every ballpark is like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you watch on TV and there's people not paying attention. There's people on their phones and so I think that's just our society now, not necessarily um, what a lot of people say or, Oh, it's, and maybe that's just what I hear from Cardinals fans and White Sox fans, but um, but I would definitely say just walk around that neighborhood a lot. Um, there's a lot of good places to eat. You want me yeah. to throw a couple places at you?
1: Well, there's gonna be a bunch of people coming out from Baltimore to see it. So yeah, definitely throw out some places.
2: All right. So, uh, Lucky's sandwich company that's on Clark street. So it's just about, uh, maybe two blocks, um, south of Wrigley on Clark. Uh, it's on the, uh, West side of the street. And, um, It's, it's pretty awesome. It was on like man versus food or one of those shows or something like that. So, I mean, if you're into like sandwiches and I'm not a meat eater, but, um, they have good vegetarian stuff, but also my friends that eat meat love going there and great sandwiches and slaw on your sandwich and all that kind of stuff.
1: Got to have slaw Um, on your sandwich. Got to have slaw. Jake's (laughs) grimacing uh, right now, but if you're, if you really want to experience it, you got to have some slaw on that sandwich.
2: (laughs) Um, and then, I mean, obviously if you're going to go to Chicago, you got to go to a pizza place. Yep. Um, and that is very, uh, you'll get a lot of different answers. Well, actually you'll get about three different answers, but you'll get very passionate responses. If you ask people in Chicago, you know, where should I go for Chicago pizza? Um, so there's Gino's is a big one and Giordano's, but I would say, uh, there's a, um, right down, um, uh, Addison, there is a, a restaurant called D'Agostino's, a pizza place. And I think it is awesome, by far my favorite. And I like to go in there right after, um, you know, right after the game. It's just a few blocks down. And it's nice because you've been sitting out in the heat all day. And then you go in there and it's nice and cool and some big fat pizza, Chicago-style pizza. So it's good. And it's kind of a historical place, somewhat, you know, recent history uh, for the Cubs. Because when uh, Kerry Wood um, left the Cubs and then um, when he came back at the end of his career – supposedly, uh, Jim Hendry, the GM at the time, and Carrie Wood worked out that deal at D'Agostino's over pizza. So That's pretty cool.
1: Um, the one way i describe it, you know, when I went as a kid and I went with my grandfather and I was right in those preteen areas. But the way I would describe the whole Wrigley environment, and I totally agree with you, you've got to kind of blossom out just from Wrigley Stadium. I'd say you have to go around like two or three blocks around Wrigley Stadium. It's almost like a farmer's market of baseball culture. You know, yeah. you can go into a certain like you know hole in the wall restaurant and you're just like, what's this? And you can have a, like you said a really great sandwich, and you get to talking with someone about the Cubs or you know the Bears, and you're just like, hey, you know what's going on here? And you just can really get a good sports vibe um right around that area. So you know, I really feel like it's a, almost like a, a mecca in terms of just you know being you know man on man and just being like being able to talk um just baseball and not have to be like. Uh, this guy's a businessman, and he doesn't even really care about this game that's going on. He's just here to entertain a client. And there's there, there are people out there that are like that, but I really feel like there is a more ingratiated aspect and respect for the game as opposed to just going to an event.
2: Right? Yeah. And if and if bars are your thing, there's so many around, and so I mean, if you walk into one and it's not you know not your vibe and you're not feeling it, like just go to the next one because everyone is different and you're going to find one that you love. And, you know, if you're into like the memorabilia stuff and all that kind of stuff, I'd suggest going to Murphy's. Um, it's in the out, uh, you know, out by the outfield. And, uh, there's just tons of cub stuff on the walls from all throughout the years and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's just so much there. And, and I, I, it's hard to even, you know, even if you're just going a day, you're not going to take it all in, but, um, you know, just do as much as you can because it's definitely worth it.
0: Now I've I've seen on the on the Twitter sphere, if you will, so many people from the Baltimore area saying that they're going to this series, that they're going uh, out to see the O's play the Cubs um, because Wrigley is so great. I mean, is does that happen a lot? I mean, are, are Cubs fans kind of accustomed to opposing fans being in the stands because they're there, you know, just to to experience the stadium?
2: Yeah, you know, I've kind of actually I was just talking about that because I was saying that, um, you know, um, I like I said I get up to about four or five games a year. And, and, um, I think that it's especially the case with American league teams. I went a couple of years ago. I took my daughter up, uh, to see the Cubs play the tigers and there was more, there were more tigers fans in the, in the stadium, in the ballpark than, than Cubs fans. Um, and I think it's just one of those things that, um, it, it, American league teams don't come real often. What is it? Every, I don't know, four or five years, something like that. That's probably more than and that. So, yeah. Yeah. So when they do you know, I think it's something special and they, they kind of everybody flocks to the area to to see the ballpark. So and I, I think I think Cubs fans are very friendly. I don't think you'll have, you know, I think you'll find it very accommodating. And I've always kind of seen it um, as, you know, when when fans from other teams come to your ballpark, you're just kind of like their host, you know. And so I, I like to see. Fans of other teams having a good time. I would prefer it's not well, the other teams winning. Right. <laughs> right. Understandable. It usually ends up that that's the case. You'd usually. like to see
0: them enjoying themselves despite the score, is yeah, what you're telling
2: right, us. There we go.
1: Yeah. We've got yeah. a situation in Baltimore, too, where we have a, a lot of individuals that come down from New York and Boston. Um, and um, we try to be generous hosts. But the visitors are not so uh, keen on being generous and kind back. So we will definitely come out there and show some Southern hospitality and just be like, hey, we're just here to see a baseball game, but we're not going to be that obnoxious fan. Um, You know, we just really want to take in a baseball game. And, you know, we'll cheer on our team just like you'll cheer on for your team. And at the end of the day, maybe we'll have a beer together at, 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 at it, too. So.
0: I'm I'm really curious to see if that is the case, Scott, because I'm sure that you have all of the innocence and good intentions in your heart. But um, Corey, just, I mean, just to tell you, this fan base has been so beaten down by 14 straight years of losing. And Do you know who you're talking to? Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> but uh, but with the Red Sox and the Yankees fans, many of whom don't make the trek from those places, but rather come from the Baltimore suburbs after having given up on their team, um, it was kind of like being in, a, in an Uh, opposing stadium when you're there at home uh, for many of those games. And so I I hope that Orioles fans remember that experience of being uncomfortable and not having a good time in your own park so that when they do travel with the team now that that they're good again, that they remember to be uh, to be gracious guests.
2: Yeah, well, you know what? And I I think that Cubs fans, um, we're not a real hostile group, especially right now. You know, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot to hang our hats on. And so uh, I, I, I don't I don't think there'll be any issues at all. I admit, though, it is weird. I, I thought it was really weird. Um, the Tigers went the Cubs were playing Verlander, you know, back in 2012 or what. You know, so obviously the Cubs lost. Um, and uh, it was really weird to hear a loud stadium cheering for the other team, like your ballpark. Yeah. They, they do travel because of the well. other team.
0: I think Detroit does either travel well or it's such an amazing, wonderful city that there are a lot of expatriates of Detroit everywhere else.
1: I think people just basically you know, had to move on based off of the automotive crisis. I mean, a lot of people moved on to different industries. But speaking about people moving on to new areas, I want to talk about a few individuals that have moved on from the Orioles organization and now are with the Cubs. So back in the day, our previous GM, Andy McPhail, um was always trying to get you know the Cubs organization to come into Baltimore, and now it's kind of the opposite. You have Jake Arrieta, Pedro Strope, and c o Wada in the Cubs organization, and all of them are actually doing pretty well this season as well. I just wanted to get your take on uh, those three names and um you know how they've been doing so far this season for you guys,
2: yeah, well, what or um um uh, Arietta has been so much fun to watch. What did you um, guys do to him? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? we got this pitching coach called, uh, his name, Chris Bazio <laughs> And like, I have no idea what he does, but they bring in all these like reclamation projects from other teams and everything. And he just turns them around and you've got one of them, Scott Feldman. We sent him over to yep, you guys. It's true. We turn him around. And then we send him off to someone else and bring younger guys in. Um, but no, uh, Arietta has been so much fun to watch. And I mean, there's like, he, he's the best performing pitcher so far, you know, for the Cubs and, And I mean, if they don't do anything to improve their pitching staff, um, amazing. I think he could probably be the number one, the number two, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's honestly what we always said too with Jake Herod, it was always like, man, he's got the stuff. And even, you know, Jim Palmer, who is our resident Hall of Fame pitcher is just like, he's got the stuff, but he just doesn't have that composure as a pitcher to go out there and put it all together and actually pitch. He'd go through four or five innings and just be lights out just like he's been this year. And then you get to one pitch where it almost looked like he was aiming the ball in there and just kind of like playing around in the zone. And it was just so frustrating. He's just like, man, I can see it and it's so close. But then he just destroyed himself. And, you know, when we traded him last year, he had a six plus ERA. And now you look at him and you're just like, he's not the same pitcher. He's pitching with command and he's pitching with, you know, he knows what he's going out there and doing. He's like, I have faith in my stuff. And that was the biggest issue with, which was, was with area it was. didn't like seem like he had faith in his stuff. And this year it looks like he's got total faith of his command and all his pitch selection.
2: Yeah. I mean, his, his, um, accuracy has just been unbelievable to mm. watch this year. I mean, he his just like you mentioned his command. I mean, it's, it's just been unbelievable. And it's weird because the Cubs, that's kind of what their pitching staff is right now. They've got these guys that aren't going to go out. Well, it's funny because the starters, you know, aren't going to go out and blow you away. They're going to, you know, low nineties fastballs and everything. And then Strope and, and the relievers come in and they're throwing upper nineties. Right. So I get it. I, I, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch those hitters kind of be back on their heels after, you know, now s- pitching earlier in the game. How is Strope doing? Does he need a
0: map to find the plate?
2: You know, he's doing pretty well. Um, and I, I, I think his, it's, like most relievers, he's either on and and he looks great, or it's like, oh man, this guy is just not going to find the plate tonight, and that's that's kind of what we've seen. But I mean, he he is pitching well, and he's you know obviously he strikes out a lot of guys and everything. So I and he is walking, but um, I don't. I am real happy with what I've seen from him, and and uh, I think he's definitely like a solid, you know. Potential closer, but if, if nothing else, a setup guy.
1: I think he's a great setup guy. And that's who he, he was back for us in the 2012 season. uh He was a great setup man in that eighth inning, getting to Jim Johnson before Jim Johnson collapsed as well. But, you know, Strope's numbers so far this season, you know, yeah, his walks are still a little high compared to a normal reliever. But again, you look at his strikeouts per nine, and they're, you know, right around nine to 10 Ks per nine innings. And that's just exactly what you want to see from Pedro Strope. In addition, right. his ground ball percentage has been. um you know, at a at a high right around like 45%. So that's exactly what you want to see is minimizing those fly balls with stroke, getting ground balls, but also keeping that strikeout percentage high. If he keeps that strikeout percentage high, he's going to be a great seventh or eighth inning reliever.
2: Right, yeah. And that's what you want out of those guys.
0: You know, the other thing about those two particular players is that it's so nice to see them doing well because uh, the frustrating thing about especially Arrieta uh, here in Baltimore is that he was so easy to root for because his desire to do well and his desire to do well for the team, I think showed through and Arietta and Strope are both two guys that wear their hearts in their sleeves. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that they're doing well and I'm also glad, glad they're doing well in, in a league that I don't see them and and have to face them very often.
2: All right. Yeah, that always kind of hurts when they perform well against right. your team, the former team.
0: All right we also mentioned Suyoshi Wada, who we never saw because he got hurt for the length of his contract. uh What is it like watching uh Wada pitch?
2: Well, it's slow, but <laughs> <laughs> we we saw him in spring training, and he was very slow, and I thought, oh, I hope this guy does not make it up because I cannot sit you know sitting through Cubs games that really don't mean much, that's tough enough, but sitting through a really slow working pitcher that's even worse um. But I will say, it seems like he's sped things up a little bit. Maybe they worked on that in AAA. Um, but yeah, he came up from AAA uh, not that long ago, and he's looking pretty good. Um, you know, he's not again, he's not going to blow anyone away, but it's that location, and that's kind of w- what carries him.
1: All right, and last thing before we go today, I want to go through the individual that has really been heating up everyone in terms of FanGraphs, sabermetrics, and that's Javier Baez. Give me a quick summary to close out this interview on Javier Baez.
2: Okay. So if you're going to Wrigley field, you don't want to go get a beer or go to the bathroom during a Javier Baez at bat, because even if he strikes out, it's going to be the most exciting strikeout you've ever watched. (laughs) Um, I had the opera, uh, you know, the Cubs drafted him, um, 2011. My, my years are getting mixed up. Um, 11. Yeah. And, uh, he, came up through the system. Luckily I'm really close to the minor league team that was affiliated with the kids or with the Cubs, the the low a um, affiliate. They're no longer there. They've moved, but Javier Baez came through. So we got to watch him there. And I mean, he was so exciting from, from I had watched low a baseball for years and then I saw him and I thought, Oh, okay, this, this is the superstar. This is what that looks like at the low a level. Um, but, he has a um a batting approach, really. It's very similar to, like, Gary Sheffield. He's got the bat waggle and just, like, insane bat speed. Yeah. It's unbelievable. His wrists, I you know, we had the interv- uh, opportunity to interview him, and I shook his hand. He was 19, and it was, like, terrifying how huge his wrists were. <laughs> and, you know, here I am, like, in my early to mid-30s, and I'm shaking this 19-year-old's hand and super intimidated just because he's such a massive guy. Um, but he is, he will crush the ball and you'll just be amazed that you were, you were able to watch a baseball fly that far, or he's just going to strike out in the most, you know, glamorous way. Yeah. can, I guess,
1: yeah, if there's a breaking ball or a slider on the outside portion of the zone, it's going to be, Ooh, why did you swing at that? But, uh, yeah, he's a true boom or bust kind of, kind of candidate out there, but, um, it'll be very interesting to see how he continues to b- develop, um it was interesting going through some of the fangras articles and saying, seeing that, you know, the pitches that have been thrown to him that forty percent of them have been out of the zone and the league averages are right around fifty percent. So um right. pitchers are definitely afraid to throw it into the zone from him based off the aspect of having to hit four hundred to four hundred and fifty foot dongs against uh against them. So um I definitely would recommend any Orioles fan, when Javier Baez comes to the plate, keep a special eye on him because he's gonna be a special player more than likely.
2: Yeah. And he's just really energized. You know, the Cubs are in the middle of this rebuild and he's the first big name that's come up. And it's just, I think you guys will probably be able to sense the excitement. I haven't been to a game since he got called up. I'm going up this Thursday, so I can't wait to see him play again in person. Um, But he's just energized the fan base and it's kind of that, okay, now these guys that we've been waiting on through this rebuild, now they're going to start filtering up and, it's exciting, but yeah, just just watch him. And, and you mentioned the low and away stuff. Don't you know he's the, he's the kind of guy that he doesn't have to get solid contact yep. and knock it out of the ballpark. So, there's been a few I've home runs it. that
1: he's hit at the low middle of the zone that you were like, "There's no way he can get do anything with that except for hit a pop up." And he's hit him, you know, pretty much dead center, and just like, "Oh my gosh, this guy is a yeah. guy with pure power that normally no one would be able to hit that home run." But he's got like you said, that amazing bat speed with the wrists. So he's a special player, and uh, like I said. Orioles fans, you should be paying particularly close notice to him. Um, you know
2: this weekend. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, Corey. Like I said, we appreciate you coming on to the show tonight. Um, we are. I'm looking forward to coming out to Chicago and seeing the Cubs play. Um, and you know, good things are coming around the corner. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the stuff that was on Fangraphs in terms of the base run scored for the for the Cubs, and they're right there actually in terms of base runs scored, right there with the Royals. It's just that, you know, the Cubs compared to the Royals haven't been there in terms of, you know, getting clutch plays and, you know, right. win probability added. So, you know, you look at the Cubs and you look at the payroll flexibility they might have next year. And um, this is a team that we're going to have to keep an eye on for, you know, they're going to be a good team in the future.
2: Right. Yeah. And and I don't think Arietta will be the ace if, if he starts off as the number one starter next year. He won't be. For long, because they have a lot, you know, all these young guys are under club control, right? And they have a lot of of flexibility, and they don't need position players; they need pitching, and so um, it's it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be a Cubs fan. Absolutely.
0: Well, you know, when we started uh, our podcast uh, early in in two thousand twelve, we we expected fully that the Orioles would lose a hundred games. Uh, that season ended up being a little different, and it's been a really exciting and fun ride ever since, but I, I try very hard not to forget that this was once a terrible franchise. Um and and I have a lot of um connection to other franchises that experience this this type of you know horrible thing and it's really nice to see the Kansas City Royals doing well. It's nice to see the the Pittsburgh Pirates doing well. Um clearly we wish good things for the Cubs. Um now if we want to find out more about the Cubs, where should we go to find that?
2: Well, my, I would suggest you go to com, but uh, <laughs> um, that's the best place to go. Um, yeah, we, and we do a, a weekly podcast and in iTunes and Stitcher and all that kind of stuff. so I guess if there's any Orioles fans heading to Chicago and want to get caught up a little bit and know what's going on with the Cubs, are welcome to listen to our podcast.
0: Great stuff, um, and, and also on
2: Twitter, I assume. Oh, yeah, we're at IBMB on Twitter. We do all the social stuff, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, too.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, we wish the Cubs all the luck in the world starting next week.
2: The <laughs> <laughs> well, same to you guys. <laughs> all
0: right. Corey, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, baby, you should do swing. comes a twist and i just got to keep insisting on today hey you are the king
2: baby you've got me beat up and down inside out and across
0: oh yeah but in the middle of the night when the moon is shining bright you're the boss
1: yes jake i am once again the boss this week um What can I say? I've gone up 11 to 6 to 3 now. Um, Nelson Cruz had a sack fly on Monday night in the bottom of the 1st.
0: I am going to cry foul, sir. Are
1: you you filing an
0: appeal? I am filing an appeal. I want to send this directly to New York. That sack fly— Can I I just let you know that your arbitration process
1: is null and void, (laughs) according to New York Supreme Court. So I win this this week. That sack fly took place on the Monday. That doesn't count. I disagree. We've always included Monday as the funny little gray area of our stats, so it definitely does count.
0: So you're claiming victory on the funny little gray area?
1: Let's just say that if I'm going to go win the game, it's going to be in the first inning. And in this case, it was the first inning on Monday night.
0: I don't like this at
1: all. You may not like it, but it's the truth. So, Jake, I am the winner. You are the loser. Jake the hole is getting pretty deep so excuse me <laughs> the hole's getting pretty deep um jake uh it's i guess it's my turn to pick a stat jake i'm gonna give you an easy one okay and you're gonna be able to get you're gonna knock this out of the park because uh-huh. there's only one good answer here okay jake this week's category is contact percentage
0: contact percentage for batters so who's gonna have the highest contact percentage So the question is not necessarily who's going to get the most hits, but who's going to put most bats on the ball. Yeah, who's going to put the most amount of wood on the ball? I'm going with Adam Jones. I set you up so easily, and you just keep failing me. All right, who you got instead? Nikki Cakes. All right, Nick Marcakis is another good one. I feel like the thing is though is that Nick Marcakis is gonna watch so many because his eye is so good mm-hmm. that he will have a, a smaller sample size, whereas Adam Jones throws the bat at everything and despite that approach Still, still to the managed to Still manage to hit the ball. <laughs> and, and and not just hit the ball. I mean I'm not talking about safely, I mean fouling stuff off, I mean popping up. Do you want me to give you the numbers? Lay on me. Okay, so Nick Marcakis over the past 14
1: days, has a contact percentage of 89.7%. Okay. Adam Jones has a contact percentage of 71.9%.
0: Okay, so we're not talking complete apples and oranges here. That's not horrible. No, Chris Davis has a 66.7% contact. We shall not speak of it. <laughs> All right, so uh, contact percentage. This is going to be a a mess to to watch this week. You're going to go with Nick Marcakis. I'm going with Adam Jones. I basically, we're we're down to 40 games. I don't know how many weeks left we've got in the schedule, but I I basically got to win out. You got to pretty much win out, yeah. So good luck
1: with that. I did pretty well with it last year, having to win out. So we came back to the very last week. So Jake, good luck to you. You're going to need it. And with that, Jake, let's go through our good, the bad, and... Oh, yes, the ugly. (laughs) That's right, Jake. It's time for the good, the bad. And yeah, the ugly.
0: Jake, do you want to go first this week, or do you want me to go first? I'll go ahead, and I'll get started. Uh, for my good this week, we've we beat him up so frequently. I'm going to go with Johnny Baseball, and that is Jonathan Scope. This week, he's hit uh, three home runs. He's put five RBI on the board, batting three fifty-three. His slash line is actually interesting. It's three fifty-three, three fifty-three, nine forty-one, and 1.294. For all that we've said in the past, which has been true, that he has not put it together offensively, that he's just a defensive uh, asset, he had a really good week. And so for that, he's good in my book. My good for the week is going to
1: go to Nick Marcakis. He's actually been doing great, um, I think, post-All-Star break. And yes, I realize there's going to be Baltimore fans out there who are going to be saying, well, he's been great all season. He's been average to above average, but right now... He's doing absolutely amazing. He had 391 on-base percentage this past week. He has a 132-weighted runs created plus. Nick Markakis is getting on base and is trying to get the heart of the order to drive him in. Unfortunately, the heart of the order has been doing great, except for Adam Jones. So, Nick Markakis, keep doing what you're doing. You are going to be that spark, hopefully, in the playoff that gets the Orioles through many games in the playoffs.
0: Jake? All right, my bad for this week is Brian Mattis, strictly for coughing up that game on Saturday night. Of course, of course, it was a home run given up to a right-handed batter, and uh, you know he he was not good. I don't know what else to say about him at this point. He has really become a bit of a liability back there in the pen. If you're not going to use him as a loogie, he's gonna hurt you.
1: Uh, Jake, my bad for the week is going to go to Delman Young. Delman Young has a 118 average, a 105 Woba, a negative 47 weighted runs created plus, not to mention taking away all the offense that people constantly say, oh, he's a professional hitter. He's absolutely atrocious out there in left field. Absolutely ugly. I'd rather have Nelson Cruz out there playing defense. That is a real statement. Yeah, that, that is a real thing. Yeah. like that, that should be not taken lightly. No, no, that's, that's a real statement. I cannot believe that Nelson Cruz is a better defensive option than Delman Young. I would put both of my dead grandmas in left field yeah. before I would put Delman Young yeah. out there. He almost raises the point of whether having David Lowe on this roster is a better thing right now than having Delman Young in this in this lineup.
0: Uh, I am hundred percent with you. All right, my ugly for this week. You know, I'm going to go chalk. And last year, I or last week rather, I put him up as my good uh, just to throw him a bone, and that is Abaldo Jimenez. Abaldo Jimenez was the Hindenburg in his last start. Look, I I don't even know where to start with this guy. The first inning comes, he walks the first two batters. It it was all downhill from there. I mean, in 4.1 innings pitched, he gave up five hits and six earned runs. He gave up two home runs, and he he walked three guys. Now, he did manage to sprinkle in five strikeouts through that uh, start, but it was just no good, and it was no good from the beginning. And this is a guy that's playing on a club that is playing for the playoffs. They're in the lead in the pennant race. Now, I I wrote something up and I posted it on BSR this week about this very thing. Look, I'm not saying that Abaldo Jimenez is not going to work out throughout the length of his contract. It's too early to say that. I'm not saying that he's a bad guy. I'm not saying that we should release him. I'm saying that in his current role, he's hurting the club. And so they need to just put their pride aside and realize that they've got a $50 million mop-up reliever until they can expand the rosters in September, at which point he should be forgotten. And I don't think he should make the the playoff roster. And I know that sucks, and I know that's ugly, but that's exactly what Abaldo Jimenez is right now. And you know what? Maybe he gets himself together over the length of this contract and becomes a good enough starter, a fifth starter, what have you. Maybe he becomes a bullpen asset, and it's just ridiculous that we're paying that much money to a guy like that. But I'm over it. Baldo Jimenez, again, I say without sneer, and I say without malice, is not working in his current role. And we've got a guy in the minors, Miguel Gonzalez, who has done nothing but be consistent and show that he's good enough to be on this club. Make the move, send TJ McFarland down in time to bring him up again at the 1st of September, and make the move. Yeah. Jake, I really felt like we've done an excellent job of going through the every single
1: tangent of Orioles baseball. So if you would give me a brief moment I'm going to change an out of Orioles baseball and go through my ugly for the week. And that has to be the situation that's going on in Ferguson right now. The situation is not just a simple situation of um, race riots and police militarization. It's really, you know, a complete teardown of human rights violations and also an attack on freedom of media and going out, uh, going out there and actually trying to report on the t- topics. You had several, situ- uh, several moments during the nights on Mondays and Tuesday nights where tear gas canisters were thrown at media, um, n- namely Al Jazeera media. Um, you also had a situation where Washington Post members were arrested for, uh, I guess, loitering or trespassing in a McDonald's or not getting out there quick enough. And this whole situation has been handled completely ridiculously, both by the local level On the state level and on the federal level. And at this moment, right now, you've got a giant, you know, cluster F basically going on that really cannot be solved any other way. Yes, the facts need to come out. But the other matter is, we cannot be going to such extremes of basically shooting people, militarizing, and basically turning this area into our war zone. This is not how the United States is run. People get it together. You, sir, America, are ugly this week, and
0: on notice, and on notice.
1: Well, gee, way to way to bring us to just a well, crescendo all, of awesome. with all that patriotic music that you played. <laughs> I had to bring down the patriotism. A I little did bit. not play the patriotic music. That That's was true. All, that was all me. Yeah. You know what I? You know what I? What I'll say to the situation in Ferguson this week? It's bully, bully. <laughs>
0: That's terrible. <laughs> All right, Scott, with with, uh, trying to bring this show back into a a lighthearted note, can I blow the save? Yes, you can blow the save, Jake. All right, can we just talk for a minute about how cool it is that the players have taken it upon themselves to make the 1954 stirrups from those throwback uniforms part of the regular uniform? Now, I'm sure that this is Jones' doing, but all the players who wear high socks, and that's, you know— uh, Darren O'Day and Abaldo Jimenez and Jonathan Scope and David Lowe, all of them, have been wearing the high socked, uh-huh. you know, stripes uh, from the from the throwback uniforms ever since. I love that. Not only is it a, is a great look, and you know how I feel yeah. about uniforms in general, but I, I, for me, it also serves as a daily reminder of that particular celebration that we sat through and and was so amazing for us. So to the Orioles, and and particularly to the players, because I'm sure, again, like I said, that they're behind this, I say bravo. And I say, thank you. Yes, tip the cap to the Orioles on that. Keep up the good work.
1: Jake, another great week. Yes, the Orioles uh, falter a little bit in Cleveland, but I think we can expect good things with this 40 games that are coming up. There is a lot of things to look good forward to, and not to mention, playoff invoices are coming out. I feel like this is the first instances of we almost can guarantee ourselves of seeing playoff games in Baltimore you know and not have to worry about oh, am i going to get refunded or not so jake playoffs are coming in a month you know Orioles are playing very good baseball jake anything else to say
0: i don't think i have a single thing to say other than to bid baltimore and beyond a fond adieu adieu baltimore good night
1: good luck and uh pop a beer for me we'll see you next week